This summer, we're looking at the Psalms. I'm not, we're gonna, not going to look at every single one of them. There's a lot of them, I, and, uh, but we're looking at a sampling. We're kind of following the themes that are laid out in the Psalms. The first one, first Psalm 1 is about the picture of the flourishing, godly person. And there's a lot of songs about that, and God wants to sing us, sing, us to sing about that. So we looked at that in the month of May. And then last month in, in June, we went to Psalm 2 and saw the theme of the king and his kingdom, the big picture of what God is doing in the world. And we looked at several Psalms related to that. Then as we, last week, we went to Psalm 3 and 4. And this is what a lot of the Psalms are about, is that when someone is struggling, it teaches us how we can take our emotional struggles in a variety of ways and go to our Heavenly Father and find the help that we need to be able to process that stuff, to find peace, and to go forward in service. And so last week we looked at anxiety and what the Bible says about that. This week we're going to talk about grief and processing loss. And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 6. So uh, let's consider the Word of God as it comes to us from Psalm 6. And then we'll consider this together. Psalm 6. For the director of music with stringed instruments according to Sheminith. A psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one can proclaim your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They, fall, they fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, you are exalted on high. We give you praise, O Lord, that you have entered, uh, condescended to speak to us and to enter into the depths of our own struggles, to speak to us and to guide us and to bring us to see your glory, to see your goodness and how we might live in a way that is in peace and service to you, even as we struggle in this world. We thank you for these psalms that you've taught us. We pray, O Lord, that you'd speak to each one, that they'd be able to hear the thing that you would want to speak to them this day. We need your help, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There's probably no greater grief that we can experience in this life than losing someone who is dear to us, someone who is a loved one. And our society recognizes this, and it's not something that our society invented, but it's something that goes back to the most ancient of times. And that is that when, some, when you've lost someone, like a, someone dear to you, what you need to do is to take some time, and you need to cry it out, you need to weep, and you need to have friends there, and you need to do it before the Lord. And that is what funerals do. And they are designed to, they are designed to help us to process loss, to bring our grief to the surface so that we can deal with it and then move forward with the grief to a new reality. But there there are two problems that arise in relationship to grief, though, in our society. One is, though, even though funerals 
again, are the, are the right course of action for grief. So often, in regards to so many other things uh, and so many other forms of grief, we don't take time to process the loss. Our, our society, I would say, is particularly bad at processing our emotions. We are such a, a go, go, go society. We have little time for reflection on ourselves, and we have a lot of impatience for it. We have all kinds of, we, we, we theoretically have the time if we wanted to take it, but we, we fill our lives with so many distractions. We've got so many things we can buy, so many things we can do in this land. It's incredible. And so, so what a funeral teaches us is that we need to take some time to think about these things, to process these things. The other problem is that the death of a loved one is not the only time we need a funeral because there's many other losses that we experience that cause us sadness and we need to let that grief come to the surface. Let me give you a couple examples of things that can really weigh us down. For example, transitions of family members, like kids leaving the home. Your own transitions, like a move. Your own sins, the things you've done that are wrong. The sins of others that have hurt you and harmed you. Losses of jobs. Losses of dreams or visions that you had. Losses of friendship. Divorce. Broken relationships. Loss of opportunities. And much, much more. We often don't process these things the way we should. But what this psalm teaches us is that, that uh, we have grief and we need to let that grief come to the surface. Because grief is something that is designed by God. It's a God-given emotion to help us deal with loss. And so two definitions of grief I'll just give you here. If, you're, if you have your bulletin, there's a little outline there that if you want to follow, you can. I even put some blanks in there if you like filling in blanks. And so two definitions of grief. One is it is a God-given emotion to enable us to adapt to the loss of something good. So it's a God-given emotion to enable us to adapt to the loss of something good. Here's another definition. A God-given emotion that enables us to say goodbye to a lost good and hello to a new reality. So it's saying goodbye to the lost good, hello to a new reality. And that's why we need to let that grief come to the surface. Our tendency is to push it down, but we need to let it come to the surface. And you know, how do we, how do we let grief come to the surface? There's one thing that God has given us that helps us to bring grief to the surface. And that is tears. Tears. And that's the first point I want you to see in this, in this passage is tears are God's way of helping us bring grief to the surface, process it before him and others, and move forward. The trouble is, again, there's kind of a stigma about crying. And it's something that I've had to work through myself. One thing that really surprised me is a couple years ago is I read, I read The Iliad and The Odyssey, uh, the two famous books by Homer, two of the first novels of Western civilization. And one thing that's really striking is that these great heroes who are, who are doing great feats and battling, they cry all the time. They cry all the time. Like the battle doesn't go well, they cry. Their friend gets hurt, they cry. They don't get what they want, they cry. They're crying, crying, crying. It's like, it's amazing. And... In fact, the later Greeks, who didn't like this as much, but they loved these books, were trying to explain away why these guys were crying. 
And they'd have all these elaborate explanations, saying, what, what are these people doing? And you know, our society is that way a lot. I, I can't tell you how many times I said, I don't want to speak in front of people because I might cry if they have to say something sensitive, as if that were a bad thing. But it's not a bad thing. It's something that is good. Tears are a God-given gift to help us process loss and to deal, bring grief to the surface. And you can see that that's what's happening here. He does it, the psalmist, David, has no problem saying that he is crying like crazy. Listen to what he says in verses 6 and 7. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Now, how many of you would want to go to your friends and say that that's what I was doing last night? It'd be kind of hard, you know, to say that. But he's very open about it. And this isn't the only time that happens. Because David was experiencing a lot of loss. He had lost his, his home, his ability to live there in safety. He had lost safety in general because people were seeking to take his life. He could no longer go to the temple. He could no longer worship. And he had a really high position in the army and in the state that he had lost as well. So he was processing a lot of loss. And so he's crying about it. And he keeps crying. If you look at Psalm 42, verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, Where is your God? In Psalm 56, he says, Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Psalm 119, 136, he says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. And we can see that this is the way it is throughout the Bible. The people of the Bible are people who weep. The people of the Bible are people who bring that grief to the surface. And including our Lord Jesus Christ. The shortest verse in the Bible, the one that every Sunday school child, if they say, hey, you have to memorize a Bible verse. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But it's a really profound verse because here it is, the Lord of the universe losing a friend who actually he knows he's going to raise from the dead in a few minutes. Still seeing the reality of death, weeps at the loss of his friend, is deeply moved the loss of his friend. And so we need to learn to weep. That's part of following the pattern of the Bible. But the hard thing with weeping is that it means facing the loss. And that's painful to face the losses that we have and to admit even that things are gone that we'd like to be there. But I have an axiom that I, that I follow. What comes to the light heals. What stays in the dark hurts. And so, yeah, it's painful to get out in the light, but it begins to heal. And so what do you need to weep over today? What is your loss? What do you need to cry it out? I was talking to a friend a few years ago, and he was very angry with his family. And he had a list of all the things they had done wrong. And a lot of them, you know, were legitimate complaints. But one thing I kind of thought about is, as we were talking, I said, you know, has your family really ever been the way you wanted them to be? And he said, no. 
And I said, you know, maybe what you're dealing with is not necessarily anger, but a grief over loss. You wanted a family to give you these good things, and they never gave them to you. And that's something you've lost. And so what I suggested is, you need to have a funeral for your family. Not a literal one, but for the family that you thought you had. And what that just meant is to to take some time, focus on it, cry over it, bring some friends, have some prayers, and recognize that the family that you thought you wanted to, that you wanted to have is, not, never, is lost to you. And he did that. And it enabled him to approach his family as it was, to say, it's not the family. My family isn't the way I wanted them to be. What I had hoped for is lost, but I still have this family, and I'm going to greet this new reality and accept them where they are. That's what a funeral can help us do. Now, one thing about a funeral is that it's not only a place to connect with other people, it's not only a place for tears, it's also a place to connect with the Lord. And from time immemorial, it's been recognized that there is a time to process these things before God himself. Now, sometimes when we deal with, when we deal with um, loss, we have a tendency to blame that's also kind of a, there's a lot of masks for grief. One of those is blame. And one of those people that we can blame is God himself. And we can say, why did God let this happen to me? What, what kind of God would do this? And I'm not going to answer all those questions today. But what I want to note is this. Whatever the reason to that is, that does not change the loss. Whatever God is doing, whatever you think about God, the loss still hurts. And blaming God or pointing at God is not actually going to change that. You have to face the fact that you lost something and it hurts. And that's the sort of thing that we need to learn to take to God, is to just be honest with the pain that has occurred, with our struggle. And you can see that that's how this psalm begins, is the psalmist, David, speaking to God about his his struggles. And part of that struggle is that he feels like God is is against him, that God is angry with him, that God is not treating him as he'd like. So listen, in verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, discipline me in your wrath. So he feels God's anger, so he speaks about it. Second, he asks for God's mercy. He says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. He recognizes that I'm feeling terrible, and I need you to do something in my life. He also is struggling with, how long is this going to go on? Have you ever had that question? Things keep happening. You're like, man, is this going to go on forever? That's what he says. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? But the interesting thing is a lot of times we might say that. We might say it to other people. We might say it in our own head. But he says it to the Lord. And he just said, how long is this going to go on, Lord? I don't know if I can take it. He processes these struggles before the Lord. And then he, he also asked God to remove it. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Don't let me die. Don't let me be taken because he had people threatening to take his life. And so this shows us what we're to do. So often when we feel these emotions, we feel like we can't be honest with God about it. You know, sometimes you feel like, you know, I, I know for myself, sometimes if I'm upset with someone, um, that 
I don't want to bring that before God because a lot of the times I know there's something that's kind of off about it, <laughs> you know. But I've been, I've been trying to do that more. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this person. Here's why. And I can know in my heart of hearts that like some of my struggles are actually kind of off. But, you know, what I found is when I go to the Lord, he doesn't come down and hit me with the hammer. He, he lets me process it. And then he shows me new things and gives me new perspective. We can bring our burdens before the Lord. If we're struggling with something, we should bring it to the Lord. Be honest with the Lord. Share our hearts with the Lord. We're not meant to keep the grief here. We're led to, to meant the grief go up to heaven. Heaven is wide open for us. The book of Hebrews says that we are to go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need because Jesus has opened the way through his sacrifice. So we come not in our own righteousness, but in his. But that means we can go boldly. And we might say, you, maybe you've heard that today, but do you actually do it? <laughs> do you say, hey, here's what's going on, God. And I'm struggling with it. That's what he wants us to do. That's what these Psalms teach us. And we have an example in our Lord Jesus Christ as well. Because he also entered into our struggle. And one thing I'll say about struggle, is one thing I want you to see from this, which I, is that the godly person is not a person without struggle. The godly person is not a person without struggle. You know, I was talking to, to a friend of mine about uh, doing different songs on the guitar, and uh, one I was talking about, I saw the light. Really easy song to play. And uh, he says, you know, I saw the light, I saw the light. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight, right? And sometimes we feel like that, but definitely not all the time. A lot, a lot of times we're more like the Apostle Paul who said, sorrowing yet rejoicing. So we have struggles. We have sorrow. That's going to be part of this life. And the godly person is not the person who has no struggles or without struggle. The godly person is the one who takes those struggles and processes them before the Lord. He takes those struggles and he processes them before the Lord. That's like the key point I want you to get from everything we're going to say this month. And Jesus did the same thing. He was, Jesus was a man who struggled. He was not just in this placid condition where nothing affected him. He was affected deeply. And his soul was, was often burdened. And definitely at the point of his death when he was facing the cross, it was a deep burden. It was a sorrow. He was, he was facing the loss of that fellowship with the Father. He was facing the wrath of God that he was going to experience which was going to be horrible. And he says, Lord, if you can, Father, if you can, take this away from me. But he processed it before the Lord. And what did that lead him to say? Not my will, but your will be done. And you see, that's what hap can happen when we process our struggle before the Lord, is that it can lead us to a better resolution. And that's what you find in this psalm, is that, the result of processing our emotions before the Lord, the, the result of bringing the grief to the surface, the result of the tears is the victory of faith that enables him to experience peace and that enables him to go forward. Listen to what happens at the end of the psalm. He says, Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. Very different than the beginning of the psalm, right? Because there he's like, God, are you going to hear me? Why are you so angry at me? 
And now he's like, no, the Lord is heard. He had confidence that God hears him. Secondly, whereas before he was saying, Lord, have mercy, now he's confident of God's mercy. Listen to verse 9. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Very different again from what's at the beginning. And then verse 10, he's confident. Before he was worried that he was going to die, now he's confident of the future. Verse 10, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will, be, will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And so he's confident that he's going to have the victory. He's going to be able to move forward. Now, David probably compresses this whole thought process in a very short space. right? This is not necessarily like he instantly prayed this, and then he instantly felt better. Sometimes that happens. But it might have been a long period of time. And so one of the things I want to tell you is that, you know, if, if you, you struggle with things before the Lord and you don't immediately come to the victory of faith where you can go forward in confidence and peace, then keep praying. Keep struggling. Keep praying with others. Keep processing. Keep crying. Keep moving forward. It doesn't always happen in a moment. It may take time. It often takes time to process grief before we can see a new reality and see a new perspective. But what this passage tells us is that we will come to a new perspective as we process these things before the Lord. Abraham Lincoln grew up reading all kinds of books. And he went to every house around him and tried to grab books to read. One of the things his reading did is it actually led him to be somewhat skeptical of the Christian faith. He was more of a deist growing up. And then he encountered a book by James P. Smith, which was basically a defense of the infallibility of the Bible, saying the Bible is true and real. And he started reading this thing, and he's like, wow, there's some substance to this that I was not expecting. And he began to think about it. And then James Smith... The author of that book became the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Springfield, Illinois, where Lincoln was living. And so he was able to meet him. Shortly after that, Lincoln's son, Eddie, died, his young son. One of the hardest things we can experience. And what did he do? He went to, that, he went to James Smith. And over the course of months, he unburdened his heart. He shared his struggles, and he processed that before James Smith and the Lord. He went back to that same book that Smith had written, and he began to be convinced that the Bible was true, that God was there, of, of, of the truth of Christianity. And it led him to a new place. After that, he was heavily involved in church. He was regularly there at the First Presbyterian Church. He contributed to it monetarily. And he contributed to other churches in his community. But he also became a man of prayer. And he, he became one of our praying presidents who, who, through the dark night of the Civil War, went over and over again to prayer to find his help. Because he had learned that when we process things before the Lord, we can find that victory of faith, even in the darkest times, even in the greatest struggle. And that's what can happen for you too. So let me encourage you today, wherever you are, Whatever, whatever's happened, to consider the things that you're struggling with 
And don't let them sit there. Bring them to the Lord. Because heaven is wide open. We have a resource. We do not have to let these things just sit there and hurt us. We can move forward with the Lord in the midst of the grief, experiencing the loss, because the Lord is going to help us. We have good news. We don't have to just let our grief end us, end us and bring us to our end. In the midst of grief, there is healing. In the midst of grief, there is help. In the midst of grief, there is restoration. In the midst of grief, there is the victory of faith. Thus may it be. Amen.